I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. So I've been uh, struggling with the same thing I always struggle with. Male pattern uh, baldness? Erectile dysfunction? Incontinence? All of the above. And (laughs) And? um, how to monetize the podcast. Oh, and it occurred to me this week after after reading the news and, and and following some things in pop culture, I have decided because I'm the decider hmm. that we will begin publishing our podcasts with non fungible tokens NFT. Paul, oh. that's how we're going to go. You know, if this Beeple's guy can get sixty nine million dollars for his uh, his uh, you know great big collage of works that previously nobody bought. And got sixty nine million dollars for it. I'm thinking we can get at least fifty million dollars for a <laughs> oh, collage of all I mean, our podcasts. I'm thinking five zero, not the other six zeros. <laughs> fifty million. 50 million. I, I, yeah, it's a bargain. When you compare it to Beeple, it's a bargain. I don't even know what Beeple is. Didn't you see? Did you see that in the the auction several weeks ago? He's a he's a digital artist who, before October of 2020, had only ever sold a print of his work for a hundred bucks. And then, you know, last month he sold uh, a collage of all his works with non fungible token digital file, mind you, for sixty nine million dollars. Huh. Wow. And of course, you know, uh, NFTs are, are in the news this week in terms of our comic media because of the open letter that Mike Diodato uh, published on uh, Bleeding Cool, suggesting that, uh, you know, the way comic book artists can uh, supplement their income is similar to the way uh, uh, regular print comic artists uh, supplement their income because they sell their artwork after it's published, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you can you, you can buy original pages, you know, that, that appeared in your comic book from from all the artists you love. And there's a whole industry around that. But with so many comic book artists uh, generating their media solely digitally, that's been cut off to them because the comic book companies, for whatever reason, uh, have encouraged them not to uh, sell their digital files. And I guess that's so that the the comic book company owns that digital file because, you know, it's work for hire, yada, yada, yada. Same old same old argument that everyone's ever had with comic book publishers since the 1930s. But, you know, Diodato is saying that that original digital file should belong to the artist. And, uh, you know, ultimately, this is going to wind up in court one of these days. But, you know, there I've been thinking a lot. I, are you guys up to speed on the whole uh, NFT thing? Ish. Enough. Yeah. So the, the for for our listeners, uh, NFT or non fungible token allows you to establish ownership of a digital file, and it's done through a whole blockchain process. Apparently, it's horrible for the environment because it eats up a whole lot of power. Uh, I, I'm not real clear on that, but I've seen several articles saying you know this is terrible for the environment. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, it allows you to establish ownership of that file. And everybody right now is talking about it in terms of artists' rights. What I have not seen anybody talk about is consumer rights here. Because, you know, right now, the three of us buy our comics, you know, digitally through Comixology, but we don't really own those, despite the fact that we're paying the same price that we'd pay for, for a cover price on New Comic Book Day, you know, for a print copy. We don't really own it. We own it as long as Comixology and Amazon are around. So if those companies go south tomorrow, 
we could lose our entire digital library, right? Yeah. Um, if you had the non-fungible token attached to your individual comic book file, it would literally be very much like owning a, a physical copy in that it's yours then, right? You wouldn't need some sort you, you, you could literally not have that, uh, uh, that, you know, proprietary software requirement there mm -hmm. you could take that file and go wherever you wanted to with it because you own it at that point um it's also something you know like right now if i die tomorrow the only way anybody gets access to my comiXology library is if somebody shares the password right so you know i could will you my my uh my library of 7,000 plus digital comics, but you'd have to take the entire library with you because I'd, I'd have to give you the password to my account. I can't transfer those individual books to someone else. If you had NFTs or something like it attached to your comic book files, you could share them. You could say, well, you know, I want to, I want to give Paul all of my, uh, my Thor comic books. Here they go. Or I want to give him the, the original issue of, uh, beta Ray Bill. I think it's issue 237 of the mighty Thor. I can give that to Paul and it's actually a thing you own. It's, it, it's not like I'm giving a standard digital file to anybody who wants it and put it out there on my Dropbox, you know, for everyone to share, I'm giving you a thing just like you would give a physical thing. And I think that, uh, would be a tremendous application to NFT, uh, not taking into account whatever environmental aspects. Because again, apparently it takes a fuck ton of power, and I don't understand that. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I quite understand that aspect. I've, I've heard the same. Yeah, but you know, I don't understand things. Science is weird to me. So, but <laughs> but I do think I, I I do think there's some there's some kind of application there for us as the consumer, not just for the artist side of things. Because you know, that's the thing that, that has always concerned me about comicsology, is you know if something happens to this gigantic company, and I, I don't think anything is going to happen to that gigantic gigantic company, uh, you know I, I have lost my entire library that I've invested so much money in. Yeah. Well, this has been think, a uh, example of that happening with kind of a big company, in that one of the I think it was the PlayStation Three store is going away. And if you've had games on that, it, they're not, it's not going to be there anymore. Right. Well, Because lesser... you don't actually own the games. You own the right to download and play them. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you own a license to, to essentially use it. Right. Well, and to a lesser extent, Aaron, you know, one of the things that one of my favorite comic runs of all time is the Jeff Parker Flash Gordon book um, mm -hmm. from Dynamite. Well, Dynamite lost the Flash Gordon license. So that book, even though I purchased it digitally, is no longer in my library. Really? Yeah. Yes. So same thing with uh, Audible. Audible, yeah. again, there's certain books that they lost the rights to, and those books just disappear. If you don't have a downloaded copy of it, you don't have those anymore. Without well, warning, yeah, mind you. That's the problem. Them. That's my big yeah. problem with it. Without warning. <laughs> well, like, I'll tell one day, you, it just with, wasn't there. With Audible... Uh, because I tracked that because, you know, there are certain books that I go back and I re-listen to. And I, I, I found that there were several books in my library that had disappeared. And so I reached out to Audible. I'm like, hey, what the hell? <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, we don't have the rights to those anymore. I'm like, well, then you're going to need to refund me my credits. And, and they did. They were really good about that. But 
you know, they knew that and did not reach out to the, they did not reach out to the folks who had purchased those rights. Yeah. They were just going to go ahead and, you know, pocket that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like you and I, strong. Aaron, have been Audible subscribers for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, our libraries are huge. Robust. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea if something disappears out of it until I go to listen to it. Exactly. I mean, you're not going to know that. I mean, it's almost like we need to develop some third-party software, right, that monitor your uh, the size of your library. And if there's any changes, you know, day over day. Yeah. And unlike Audible, like Audible, you can just download the MP3 files and have the files. Mm-hmm. Comixology isn't like that you can download it to your device but there's no backup my catalog button or anything to like get pdf versions of all of these Uh uh-huh yeah i've thought i've I've definitely thought about this because i have i i have definitely embraced which i never thought i would i have definitely embraced digital media when it comes to Mm -hmm. my i mean i knew i would in comics i jumped on it as soon as i could in comics and music but i didn't with movies because I wanted the those you know I you know I wanted that that physical copy of a movie because that was something yeah. that I felt you know I really wanted to own I wanted the steelbook or the box or whatever, but I, I have just come to embrace it because you know in today's environment where Best Buy tends to suck <laughs> even you know more <laughs> than it used to or when. You know, you have to wait a day for Amazon. The ability to literally just go into your Amazon Prime account on your television and just order the movie you want yeah, is just great. Yeah, Yeah. I will be honest. I have been in the living room before, thought, I really want to see a specific movie. That movie is over on the the shelf with all the DVDs and all the Blu-rays. And I had the thought of, well, if I get up and I put it in... Then I'm going to want to play Fallout 4 later, and then I'm going to have to switch the discs again. And you know what? I'm just going to watch something else on streaming instead. Oh, I've straight no up one, done that. Yeah. No one should have to live like that, Wayne. <laughs> I, mean, on t- I, mean, I mean, that's what they do to the prisoners in Guantanamo, right? They make them swap out their discs. I mean, it is torture. Uh, I'll tell you, even uh, worse than that, problems. there are times where I know I own a movie physically, oh, no. I, and I'll purchase part- it digitally. just to have the 4k version or some shit like the other day i wanted to watch the the most recent tron movie and i'm like but i've already packed it (laughs) so i guess i'll just go ahead and purchase it digitally i I have done that with you know because i i watch so much uh media outside Mm -hmm. you know on my ipad and you know i'm like I own that on disc, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and buy the the digital version so I can watch it out on the deck. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, no, I I, I I I have hard done that. You know, and to a lesser extent, I'm concerned about those files as well. But the comic files, because I have to have proprietary software, you know, to yeah. view those, that that does concern me. And you know, beyond the consumer piece, I wonder if. NFT is not a way to create collector's items, digital issues, like variants, mm. where you only release so many and and whatnot. And you know, and again, you own it as opposed to just being able to lease it on uh, Comixology. Anyway, it's just, it's something that's been on my mind, and you know, it's it's on other people's minds too. I saw, and I and I know Wayne. I know you are you are ready to go out and get this. And I know Paul's got Jen outlined up for this, but boy, George just released uh, his own nft album today 
So I know that uh, I, I know you guys are our big fans. So when things are released, I'm going to we'll get off of this subject here in a minute, dear listener. <laughs> um, but when a, a a something like that, like a boy a boy George album, uh-huh. you know, or or something I actually want to listen to, is released via <laughs> NFT. Is that the only way in which I can purchase it? Is that the point of it? Well, I think that for for these special releases, yes, absolutely. I know the weekend either recently did that or he's about to do that. Um, oh, but nice. yeah, I, you know that that there there will be it's it's a collector's item issue. It's a collector's item album. Um, but I mean, so I get only... why you can you know like you own those files and they'll forever be yours if you know Prime yeah. ever goes out. But I guess I didn't know if the music would be exclusive to that. And what's the point? You know, and here's the thing, like. I guess can people just buy the file and then pirate the shit out of it because that's what people do, right? No, well, I that's think the point. That's you, the point of blockchain, right? And in the NFT uh, piece of that. Oh, yeah. Each file is unique. It's ah. like your copy of it versus my copy. When I buy them, they are unique files that have the blockchain in them, and you can't copy them and give them to someone else. Well, this is stupid. <laughs> there's pirate paul i mean i just 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 let me down no i don't pirate things but still it's stupid <laughs> well i you know i i think particularly on the music side of the business and, and again we will uh move off the subject here in a moment but on the music side of the business the only the major artists are really making any money on streaming yeah you know because of how many plays you have to have to, to earn a dollar right um so I can I can see you know artists moving to to a more blockchain piece, but I, I still don't think that helps out the artist at the bottom of the, of the uh, you know who's not getting radio play or what wherever people hear music these days. No. Pandora maybe, but uh, I I I think that we are early in, but I do think there's some opportunity here, and not just for the people who make the comics. I think there there are some opportunities here for uh, the those of us who buy, read, and love the comics. Yeah. I guess we shall some, see. We, you know what I mean when we destroy the environment because we want a print copy of Beta Ray Bill issue one, um, uh-huh. or of an NFT, uh-huh. non fungible token version of Beta Ray Bill number one. <laughs> well, <laughs> will know, it have been worth it? We'll find out know, later when we like, talk about that. Comic. Like every technology, of course, porn is at the forefront of this. That well, is true. Oh, that is true. That would suck. <laughs> That means I, porn is the one thing that I do pirate. <laughs> well, I think that maybe there's some sort of NFT solution to hashtag save the new gods. Oh, maybe, maybe. Seems unlikely since, uh, you know, I, I, the, the rights are still owned by Warner Brothers. Maybe NFT is the anti-life equation. <laughs> you know, the way you describe <laughs> it, it certainly sounds like it could be. Um <laughs> So, you know, this week, Warner Brothers, you know, certainly doesn't help their case that they know what the hell to do with their DC properties um, by announcing that the Ava DuVernay and uh, Tom King New Gods movie that was still in, you know, pre-production, they have decided not to proceed with it, as well as not proceeding with The Trench, which was going to be a spinoff of the Aquaman movie but focused uh, exclusively on the trench and, and kind of being more of a 
a horror movie less of a you know less tied to the superhero universe and in both cases uh warner brothers just said hey you like it just didn't really fit in with our future plans for that interconnected universe um you know one of the rumors and it's you know not been confirmed but one of the rumors is that um after dark side's appearance in the snyder cut warner brothers didn't necessarily have the appetite to have another iteration of dark side so so close to to that iteration which I'm, just, I'm calling bullshit on given that yeah. you know like we're, we're crazy. yeah we're, we're getting another version of batman here in in a, in a you know in a year in so a yeah. <laughs> like there's literally multiple versions of superman simultaneously right now so you know i don't think well, the dark side thing holds any weight and i think the market has proved that it can support multiple interpretations yeah simultaneously you know it's that whole we can hold two different thoughts at one time um i mean with you've got the joker film right yeah. is wildly different than uh jared leto's joker oh yeah um, and and those are those those films are contemporary of each other it makes th- their argument makes no sense and i don't understand as well accepted as the snyder cut was wayne accepted um why in the world they wouldn't embrace that yeah it's you know like now is the time to yeah. do a film double, that double features dark side. down is what I would yeah. do. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very interesting that they they really ha- just... But, you know, it just kind of shows... I mean, here's the thing. we Even when they first announced the Trench movie, we thought that was a stupid idea. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would have... I not only would have doubled down, I would have put a, a, a thing at the end of Zack Snyder's Justice League and said, Dark Side will return in new gods. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have, I would have straight up. I mean, I, I think the, I think, I think the trench was a bad idea to begin with. Um, I don't think DC's ready for that yet. No. Yeah. I think the trench could be an interesting movie if it were like low budget and you don't expect much out of it. Right. Which, you know, maybe that was the plan. James Wan is known for, for lower budget, high, you know, but high returns like Conjuring and Saw and all those movies. So if anyone could pull that the, off, I just don't think the timing was right for the trench. Agreed. Uh, I think that I think the, the story is definitely there, and I think the trench is interesting. I just don't think the timing was right. Um, but I think the timing's absolutely right for New Gods. Yeah, and I think it's crazy that they. I D, to your earlier point, DC just didn't know what the hell it's doing with its superhero properties. I think what it they're not so telling hit- us. Sorry, go ahead, Aaron. I didn't mean to I'm just saying it's just so hit and miss. There's there's no there's nothing cohesive about it. And I don't know how how that continues to happen when they look over there at Marvel and the rich tapestry of their films. They tell different kinds of stories, but it all fits together. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you've got a movie in the DC universe that is terrific, and then you've got a movie that just stinks to high hell and none of it fits together. They're all unique. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the strengths of Marvel is that they have movies for different types of people. Right. Like, there are different genres of their superhero movies. They don't all look alike or feel alike. Where with the DC's uh, you know, universe they tried to create, they went for a consistent look and feel across all the movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, and you know, we don't need to get into this conversation because God forbid. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually... I actually differ in opinion than you on that, Wayne. And it's I, I feel one of the you know, one one of your feedbacks regarding the Snyder Cut, God, I just was it was that you had you know, you felt that 
Zack Snyder style, you know, the long drawn out cuts, the slow motion, the accompanying yes. music was something that grated on your nerves. And, you know, I get it. It's not for you, right? There, there's, there's no, you know, no doubt in, in that, that that's not Wayne's jam. And so yeah, I totally and I wish somebody that. would give him a flashlight, <laughs> just a light, but you know, why I, I have I, a grace? Why have a black and white version when the movie's already pretty much black and white? Oh my god! Don't make me regret bringing what, this up. What Wayne. have you done, Paul? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, um, but I, I, I think one of the 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 things that I feel about that, um, and and I think one of the the problems that one of the things that DC seemed to embrace at first and then just kind of lost their way is that when you see a Zack Snyder film, when you see Justice League. There's no doubt in your mind that it's fucking Zack Snyder directing right. that movie. Anyone who's seen 300 or Sucker yeah. Punch or yeah. whatever, that is a Zack Snyder film 100%. Yeah. It is I, branded. Yeah. But, you know, outside of this podcast, I, 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 I would ask you to find out if anyone knows who the fuck directed Doctor Strange or Spider-Man or Ant-Man or any of those films. Because I find that the directors... Are relatively interchangeable you know that marvel has a house style that they most do have directors a house style seem to no, stick you're, within your well and, and that has been that's been a point of abrasion on certain creators right mm-hmm. that's like, why uh, uh, edgar wright exactly you know it's why he left because he didn't have the freedom to tell the story in the way he wanted to tell it kevin Feige has you know been very clear this is how we make movies over here you can make a whole lot of money making a movie with us but here's how we make the movie. Now that being said, J- James Gunn, of course, had some had plenty of leeway oh. in his film. However, yeah. I you know when when Suicide Squad comes out, I think that will be more indicative of the James Gunn of his I actual agree. style than mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy is because it, you know he, yeah. he he got the reins let loose a little bit. Right. Yeah, uh, I can't wait for Suicide Squad and see what he does with it. The trailer really. The first trailer yeah. really sold me. The second trailer was not as good, but I was still edited, enjoyed right? it. Was a, it accompanied Godzilla versus Kong in theaters, so it's a bit more, um, you know, family friendly, you know. But I think my my point with that is the two films that they canceled were two films by directors with distinct styles, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I'm 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 very curious to. Are you thinking that maybe the executives went, "Ooh, not really what we're looking for." Yeah. I think that's exactly yeah. what it is. You're um, probably right. And, you know, the, and I think one of the things that maybe, I don't know, you know it, DC, you know, and I'll reiterate what we started this conversation with is Warner Brothers seems very lost in what to do with these properties, despite the fact that fans have told them, have repeatedly told them, hey, man, just give me Man of Steel 2. Give me, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, <laughs> the fans have been very clear in what they want. And here's the thing. When DC does that or Warner's does that, Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League fans are thrilled, right? Mm -hmm. When they don't do that, you wind up with films that fans are not so thrilled about. And, you know, uh, I I really feel like DC or Warner's, I keep saying DC, like the comic book company runs the film business. Um, I, I think Warner's really needs to take a step back and Find somebody with some vision, like a Kevin Feige, mm-hmm. uh, to run that division, and just let them do it. You yeah. know, I, 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 and I, we've said this before. I would bring in guys who know this, who know this storytelling business, like Bendis, to help craft these stories. I don't think Jeff Johns is your guy for this. No, I think he. Um, know, here's the thing. I think he. 
I think he was intended to be, and I think he shit the bed. And I think you know, so too. I'm a, as big a fan of I am of Jeff Johns or Zack Snyder. Neither one of them is the one that's right for that role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I think you need somebody leading the writer writers room and somebody leading the the uh, film business. Yeah. And uh, you know, I I really feel like we would not have the Marvel we Marvel Cinematic Universe that we have today without that writers room at the beginning and without those guys. You know, Ed Brubaker, Bendis, Matt Fraction, all those guys who were writing the top selling comics at the time being involved in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what DC is lacking, because it, these are all every single one of these films is a one off. Every single one of these films, they're having to recreate the wheel. Um, and, I, and I think it shows. You yeah. know, sometimes sometimes it works out great. Other times, not so much. Yeah, and I think that's why Marvel can really crank stuff out is because they have that formula down. They got a machine now. Yeah. I mean, it, they, they they know this business. I mean, the fact that they have had so many films, and I mean, I, what was the last Marvel clunker you can think of? I think the only Marvel film that I've really not enjoyed was Iron Man Two. Yeah, for me, it's Thor Two. Dark World. That's true. Dark, For me, it's Spider Man too. I I really didn't like Spider Man too, but you know th- this. I, I think here's the thing. I think Marvel had a. F- I don't think it's the Marvel formula that worked. I think it's the talent behind it. To your point, the Bendis, the Fraction, mm-hmm. that writers' room, and then evolving into Kevin Feige, um, and I think you know to a lesser extent we'll see Star Wars kind of uh-huh. see that success within their TV division by kind of making Ke- John Favreau their their right. television Kevin Feige right yeah. um well and that's smart yeah. i mean the <laughs> the application of the marvel method or the mcu method to the television business is brilliant mm-hmm. particularly i mean this would not have worked 5 years ago no or 10 years ago because you didn't have the streaming competition for premium television, right? But now that you do, I mean, look at what we watched this week. You know, you had Falcon and Winter Soldier. You had Invincible. Last week, you had, you had, uh, we had three hours of Invincible to watch. Uh, I mean, the, the choices in genre programming are huge. Well, I think this, back to the the choices in genre programming in 1980. <laughs> you know, yeah. where okay, well, I can watch uh, the Six Million Dollar Man, and and then I can watch the Bionic Woman. <laughs> you know, and that's it. <laughs> well, and when this all started, it was if there's a new comic show, we're watching it, right? Because we didn't have a lot of them at this point. Now we're like, there's a new comic show. Oh, it's on CW. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that kind of brings me to. Uh, our, you know our, our kind of first top or second topic i guess today which is godzilla versus kong right you know uh, God- we are i was looking forward to of our outline yeah. <laughs> uh, i was so looking forward to this movie coming out and dropping because it's dropped on hbo max you can watch it the day it comes out without having to go to theaters so i made an event out of it you know i like okay i'm not going to cook i'm going to order out get food brought in I ordered banana shakes because Kong. Ah, oh, see, that's smart. I was trying to figure out, I'm like, do I get monkey bread? Like, what the hell? So I said, fuck <laughs> it, and just got pizza. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, I made a whole event out of watching it. I I was so looking forward to this movie. Because there's a lot of movies that I watch that are, you know, here's the, the high cinema movie. Or here's the, you know, 
really intricate, deep movie. And this wasn't going to be that. This was going to be a good old fashioned sit down, have fun, watch two giant monsters, you know, punch each other out. And that's what I got. And yeah. I was happy. But, you know, I think one of the, you know, we were just talking about the interconnected universe thing, right? And so this is the culmination, I guess, the Avengers equivalent of Universal's Universal? Yeah. Um, kind you know, new monster or hollow verse, I think is what they're calling it, right? So it started with Godzilla. Then... Of the hollow earth. Is that is that why it's called hollow verse? Yeah. Okay. Because of the hollow earth. And so it's gotcha. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Skull Island, and now Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah. Um, and where they failed with their previous attempt to do it with like uh, the mummy and all of those characters, it really worked here. It worked in this film. Now, has it worked financially for them? I would say no, because none of these films have been particularly box office hits. I think they, I you know, I think one of the things that they'll say is they proceeded with this film, this Godzilla versus Kong, really only because they had already planned to do it before. Because um, uh, uh, King of the Monsters really didn't do well financially. Neither yeah, did Skull this, Island. This one though, they this did well. And did well I think, overseas, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people like me didn't watch any of the movies leading up to it. And because when I'm seeing the people comment on Facebook, a lot of them haven't seen the newer versions of these movies. But you didn't need to to watch and enjoy the film. And so they're getting a lot more you know, people watching it and viewing it than they would have just for the individual movies of either character. So, Wayne, you haven't seen um, any of the pr- three prior movies? No. Oh. And like I've seen all of the old Godzillas and I've seen the old Kongs, but when they went through and started doing the remakes, I hadn't watched any of them. Yeah, huh. they're worth watching. Yeah. I mean, they're not bad films. Yeah, after watching this one, I'm going to go back and watch all of them. No, they're but... they're not as good as this. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> um, so, Aaron, have have you seen any of the prior films that led up to this? Yeah, I've seen them all. Okay, I had only seen Godzilla King of the Monsters just recently because, you know, to to my earlier point, I didn't care for Skull Island. And the first Godzilla I liked, but I didn't love. So I just saw the King of the Monsters, which is probably, you know, the one that feeds this the most, I would say, um, just recently. Because it's on HBO Max. The only one that's not on HBO Max, I think, is Skull Island. Yeah, I, I think it's on they there. Added it. it's, yeah. it's there. Oh, yeah. is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're they all there. Add, they weren't all there, like, a month ago. Right. But they they're added them within the last month. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw them in my lineup uh, j- just yesterday. So I'm I'm gonna reiterate. I mean, Wayne Wayne called it a slobber knocker. I'm gonna call it big dumb fun because mm-hmm. there, yeah, there's no freaking story in this movie. There's you know the human characters are incidental, just <laughs> um, you know, and, and really like there's there's an entire plot line that I'm like, you know, I was driving in the car the next day. I'm like, what was the point of those characters? i'm like all they really did was get in a train and travel to china but they didn't really do anything well i think they were exposition characters i I, I think that's what what largely the humans in the movie do is just explain what's going on yeah um i i uh i liked the movie to your point it big dumb fun um this is certainly a film that really needed to have been seen on a big screen yeah, um, yeah, I would have loved to have seen this in uh, a big IMAX screen. Yeah, but no, absolutely, and I, it wasn't going to happen this year. 
where the sound is just thrumming through your chest. Um, I, I spent most of the movie uh, wanting to make a referral to Child Protective Services uh, <laughs> because every child in this movie is put in harm's way irresponsibly by adults. And I'm just like, you know, I, I'm just going to go ahead and pause the movie and make a call. <laughs> um, I, I was not enjoying the movie until spoilers Godzilla shows up. And then the movie had me. I was like, "Oh well, okay. I'm 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 here for this now, uh, because you know I loves me some Mecha Godzilla, and uh, the fact that uh, <laughs> that Mecha Godzilla works his way free was fucking awesome. Um, I, I I have to say I enjoyed the movie much more than I thought I would because to, to your earlier point, Paul, the prior three movies are not what you would characterize as good. Um, in fact, I got to tell you, I, I think the as much as I I enjoyed the Kong movie, uh, I think anybody watching the 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 prior Kong film walks out of it going, "What? Well, I don't need to see another one of these." Yeah, yeah. I will say it, that Skull Island, despite having Samuel Jackson, Brie Larson, uh-huh. Tom Hiddleston, uh-huh. John Goodman, uh-huh. I mean, just an amazing <laughs> cast. Yeah, it's pretty shitty. Like, it's not a good yeah. movie. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. It's every time a human a, is on screen, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I love Kong as a character, but if I look at all of his movies over the years, most of them are not very good. I think the only the only really good Kong movie is uh, the De Laurentiis uh, Kong movie from what seventy nine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recently resaw the Peter Jackson one. And I saw the extended edition just to just to torture oh, myself more. That movie was long enough as it was. <laughs> well, and, and you know the problem with Peter Jackson film is like you know Peter Jackson's Lord of the Ring movies um, is that there's just too much. You know it it needs an editor. It needs an editor hard. It was <laughs> on two that, movies. On that, on, that, I yeah. mean that, that was basically two movies. There was the Skull Island portion of the movie, which I will say is quite good. I would actually say the Skull Island portion of Peter Jackson's movie is better uh-huh. than the recent Skull Island movie. Um, it's everything after. It's the yeah. second half of the movie with Kong yeah. in uh, in New York that just really didn't land for me. You know, and I'll say in this movie, it, may, it also kind of goes back to how they treat the characters. Kong is a character. Godzilla is a force of nature. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that is partially because of the way the contracts work. Mm-hmm. Toho says specifically, Godzilla cannot emote. Right, he has to be a force of nature. So because of that, it really becomes a Kong movie more than a Godzilla movie, even though it's a movie of them fighting each other. What what I find interesting is that this is developed, you know, as a shared universe film. And Kong, as I understand it, is a uh, is a public domain character, right? Godzilla is still owned by Toho. I don't understand I don't understand the investment into these two properties um, as it's been done. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of money to, to invest into uh, characters that you don't own. You know what I'm saying? It just seems weird to me. It seems a weird choice. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, you know, they're trying to establish a, you know, universal outside of fast and the furious doesn't really have franchises. Right. I think that's the thing, you know, Disney has, have snagged up all the big franchises, but Universal's only real franchises 
Fast and Furious. Paramount's only real yeah. franchise is Mission Impossible, right? And those are all contingent on one person or you know a group well, of, of actors versus a concept. And you know, Universal suffering from some of what I think DC has or Warner's has suffered from is that they they don't stick with a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I I gotta tell you that Tom Cruise m- Mummy movie was a good movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I I, I would like to see more movies set in that universe. I, I I I know it didn't perform, but I think you can rehabilitate a a film that doesn't perform as long as it's quality. And I think that I think that inarguably that is a quality film. In fact, now that I've said it, I think I'm going to have to watch it today. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> I, I really do like that movie. It's a good movie, and I think and you are just, they point, weren't they they, they I, I it on I own it on disc, and I, I think I'm going to buy it on digital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it it is certainly. Um, it had a formula that could have worked for more, but I think they just, I think Tom Cruise, you know, had, had one of his crazy moments um, that he tends to have sometimes. And it just, it really hurt the, you know, the hype around the film and it wasn't as well received as they hoped, but it's like, yeah, but you had all these other things that could have turned it around that weren't starring Tom Cruise. Just invest in those, you know? That's right. But they just didn't. Um, well, and you just set it in the same universe and it becomes retro effectively, you know, uh, redeemed. Right. I mean, I just, I don't under, I don't understand that. I don't understand the, the, the failure of vision in so many of these, uh, film producers. I don't get it. Well, Godzilla versus Kong is currently the last hollow verse movie, um, you know, to be released, you know, after, like I, like I mentioned, none of the films have done the level of box office. I think they've wanted, um you know of the four and i think they just they were committed to getting the these you know this film out i think this film will will produce well directed by adam wingard who directed the uh the most recent blair witch movie which is actually really good um you know and, and but one of the things he said is you know he he had this end credit sequence which they took out of the end credits and inserted it into the movie because i think they are hesitant to set up an additional film given I, I i don't know that they have necessarily a, a plan or a lot of faith that the the hollow verse will continue yeah and well, what and was the you... scene that they that that they restored um, it was the kong in the hollow earth yeah it was the last oh, okay. sequence of the film gotcha. before the credits okay. it was just after the credits in in the original gotcha. um, iteration yeah it's crazy when you look at the numbers this year because of uh the pandemic and like this movie is doing really well but the numbers it's doing are not anything that like oh, this yeah. would be a flop if a non-pandemic year. That's right. Yeah, yeah. it'd be chump change, right? Yeah. yeah. But you know, it, it it you have to take into account um, subscribers and and things like that, right? Uh, in in order to really determine if it if the film is what they needed um, to 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 continue. But you know, it's it, so it, the the universe of Godzilla versus Kong um, certainly. You know, I, I would be interested in seeing it continue, but if this was it for a little while and they took a break from the characters, I wouldn't be mad at that either. Yeah, I will say if uh, if they didn't have this free to watch on HBO Max, I would have paid the $30 that Disney charges for their movies. I would have, yeah. When they come out in theaters. But I'm Easy. glad I didn't have to. Um, now, you know, we, we move from radioactive monsters to radioactive superheroes. Uh, Image sent us an advanced preview copy 
of the new Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, Brad Anderson uh, comic series, Geiger. Um, Are we sure we can categorize Geiger as a superhero? Uh, well, I mean, he certainly looks like one. <laughs> More a super villain. Yeah, it's a, a a person with superpowers. Let's go with that. Um, and so this is from Image Comics, and it looks like maybe you know it's got this little Mad Ghost imprint. I don't know if that's intended to be maybe a Jeff Johns imprint or what. I haven't. I you know it's got a, a website, MadGhost.com. I guess I should have looked that up before we podcasted. Um, but so Geiger number one comes out this next you know the, the, this coming week um, as of the recording of this podcast. I've been super psyched for it um and just to clarify mad ghost is jeff john's uh production company that's that's what it is um but it, it is uh jeff john's is one of my favorite comic writers of all time and i've just been and i love gary frank art and i've loved him since his days on incredible hulk uh with peter david so i i've been psyched for this book um but i'm very curious to hear what you guys thought of it well you know uh, i i i had it in the back of my head that this book was coming out. I didn't realize it was coming out this week until uh, you hit me with the preview copy this week, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening pages from uh, Gary Frank are just gorgeous. I, I, I very much enjoyed those. And I enjoy – I'm not going to give any spoilers since this book isn't out yet. But uh, I thought that the setup story was terrific and horrifying all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and very reminiscent yeah. of uh, – uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, Twilight Zone episodes. Um, I, it also, I mean, you can't you can't escape the similarities in this book between uh, uh, between this book and Gary Frank and Jeff Johns' recent project at DC, Doomsday Clock. Right? Yeah. And there there are some some big Doctor Manhattan vibes here. Um, but overall, I think this was a strong first issue. Um, the reveal of Geiger, which makes me question whether or not Geiger is a good guy or not, um, was was powerful. I mean, I was like, "Damn, that I is mean, a that's a slick pen- looking character." That really is. It was very yeah. well designed. Mm-hmm. Very well designed. Uh, I liked it a lot. I I I less liked the appearance to be perfectly honest of the antagonist in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and again, I don't want to offer any spoilers. I did. I, I really felt like the book took a turn at that point and it was not a turn in the direction that I wanted to go. Um, and I'm hoping that I enjoy that more in the next issue. Uh, I did. I did not like the time I spent with the antagonist. Yeah. I completely agree with Aaron there. The starting story like it's not separate stories, but there's a time jump. Right. And before the time jump, 100% hooked. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. After the time jump, I was not as attached or jazzed, and uh-huh. I had that same aversion that you did. Yeah. I felt better about it with the last panel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt that that I think brings it back some, but still, I was not as excited after that, and. Uh, Overall, I'm interested to see what they do with the second issue. They had me hooked, and then they kind of lost me a bit. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, I, and I feel like you know, there are two places in the story where I know in particular that, that Wayne and I felt the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he survived. <laughs> I, 
I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> He's fine. But, uh, my big issue, again, and it's it, in the way series comic books work, you know, the challenge is, is, is this going to be, is the, what I dislike about the antagonist going to work for the story. And we won't know that until issues two and on down the line. Um, you know, if this was a trade paperback, you know, you'd get to absorb the, the story all at one, mm-hmm. one time. Uh, we don't get to do that in, uh, at this point until it's collected. I, but I'm in, I mean, you know, yeah. I, uh, I, uh, you know, read the, the first issue as a preview copy. I will buy the first issue and I'll buy the second issue. Um, because I enjoyed it that much. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board. You know, I, I think, uh, it's a sharp book. It is, you know, and so the, the the villain, his name is the King. That's all we really know um, about him now. Seems like one of kind of a number of antagonists that may, you know, be involved in the series. And you know, the, the one thing I'll say about this book is that you can definitely tell it was written in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that to mean between some of the characters that appear um, earlier in the book and the appearance of the final villain uh, or or the antagonist, at least of this first issue, total Trump era um, inspiration mm-hmm. uh, for me. You know, the, the, there are characters at the beginning that are like a suburban couple holding machine guns. And I'm like, that looks right. just like that suburban couple that held machine guns in the news. <laughs> and yeah. then you get to the appearance of the villain who I'm like, is that supposed to be Baron Trump? Um, <laughs> it, it, it totally struck me that way. And, you know, given if you've well, read Doomsday Clock also has similar underpinnings, I really think that this is, you know, inspired say, by that. And, and, you know, given what you said, I, one of the things I disliked about it, about, about that part of the book, Paul, was that it felt Mad Magazine to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas the first part of the book feels Twilight Zone. Yeah. Wow. It, it, so it, I did not even pick that up, Paul. The uh, the couple until you mentioned it, but then when you look at him, yeah, he's holding the the gun, you know, all like he knows what he's doing, and she's holding the gun like she's nervous about even having it and doesn't know what's going. It's like that couple. Yeah. So I I, I here's the thing. Um, you know, I, I I am not a fan of sniveling villains and that's what we got in the in the last few pages of this book like little whiny villains like sometimes superboy prime can be written or right. like um what's his face uh darth not uh, kylo ren right um you know, that, the, and that that's very that seems kind of the, the 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 flow that i was getting in those last few pages but you know jeff johns gary frank there's no way i'm not picking up the second issue um and what what really intrigued me about this book is on the final page there is an ad for an upcoming book from Pete Tomasi and Brad Walker called Snipe and Slug, um, which for me is now the third creative team that DC has, or excuse me, that, that has come from DC to Image Comics. Because you have Jeff Johns, Gary Frank. Before them, you had Scott Snyder, right? Um, you know, both with Undiscovered Country and uh, Noctera. And now Pete Tomasi and Brad Walker. It seems like this is where all of DC's, you know, key talent uh over the last five to seven years um seems to be headed uh you know now that they're and, and i'm sorry i forgot to mention kyle higgins um with mm-hmm. radiant black you know so the yeah, fourth yeah. now fourth creative team that's that's kind of uh you know hopped from dc to image yeah so, and that snipe and slug looks pretty hot it does did you guys read the uh the next page after that was a junkyard joe yes. story 
that reminds me kind of of the old Beetle Bailey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I, I had Bailey vi- bi- vibes from it. I enjoyed that. That was just a fun little one-page edition. Normally, mm-hmm. when they throw things like this at the end of the books, I'm not sold on it. But I really enjoyed that little one-page story. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if it wasn't uh if it wasn't if it was more than one page, I probably wouldn't care for it, but I thought it was cute. Right. It needed to be short and punchy, just like uh the comic strips. Like like I said, it reminded me of Beetle Bailey. Well, you know, jumping back to DC Comics, um, the other history of the DC universe, issue three came out today, or excuse me, this week. This one focused on Katana, um, and and kind of her her journey as as a, a character in, in you know in a similar time frame than we've seen portrayed before um in the black lightning book uh but this is 1983 to 1996 following her life and uh you know the evolution of her character and um you know we wanted uh, i i skipped issue two uh of the other history of the dc universe i picked this book up and before we we get into this book proper because i think there are a couple of things we wanted to talk about i, I want to be full disclosure with you guys fully transparent I only made it halfway through this book. Really? I hmm. hated the writing style in this book. It, it's not so much yeah. the, the the story that was presented. It was, you know, comics are a visual medium for me. And everything in this book was written with such... It, it, this book was written as if there was no accompanying art to, to, to help tell the story. Um and, and right. I just really and that's didn't the style care for that. of that's the style of all of these yeah and that's why I haven't that's why I didn't pick up issue two it's just not my thing mm-hmm. um yeah. you know and, and, and it was so heavy handed for me I just didn't care for it I will say personally I think the second half of this was way better than the first half which is mm-hmm. funny because I I quit with the Sade page I was like I'm out I'm done oh when they when they go to the Sade concert and yeah. you're out yeah <laughs> I was like I I I'm like I like Sade but I'm out. <laughs> I honestly struggled with the beginning of this one more than the beginning of any of the others. It was harder to get into than the others have been, but about uh, maybe a quarter of the way or halfway through, I really got invested in reading it. Mm-hmm. I think it got much, much stronger as it went along. There are two really notable things for me when reading it. One of them is a comic thing. One's a real world thing. The real world thing is... I didn't know that this Asian racism was a thing in the 80s. I, you know, like I'm very, very aware of post-World War II in that era. And I think uh, George Takai has a incredible book called They Called Us Enemies mm-hmm. that does a really good job of exploring the Japanese internment camps and what that life was actually like because he grew up in one of them. So like the references to that, all of that were, were things I was aware of. I was not aware of any of this stuff from the 80s because I was a little kid. And this was kind of eye-opening for me in the real-world standpoint of, like I said, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know it existed. The other books, the racism that we deal with, are things that very much aware of. But this one was, I said, it was kind of eye-opening and an actual, I learned more from it than I did some of the other books. And I think that... I think that is sort of the hallmark of these other history books is that they serve as consciousness raising tools, right? Because Um, they specifically deal with real world events as well. And, you know, they, they, they use the, the 
delivery device of superhero comics to enlighten uh, uh, the readership. I like yourself, Wayne, up until I got to be honest with you, up until recently, I was not aware of, you know, the the racism that the AAPI community is has and is experiencing. You know, uh, I I'm a white guy. I, I live in a town that it has a large Asian community and you know, we, I've lived in the same town since I was, a, since I was a boy. Um, we, we had a large migration of, uh, of Asian immigrants, uh, back in the seventies and eighties. And there's a whole chunk of our town that is, you know, uh, that is, you know, heavily, uh, Asian. Um, and everybody seems to get along. So, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, and again, I understand. Uh, I probably have, you know, some uh, some uh, some bias there, but I I I have, I have never been exposed to it until recently. Yep. And, and this book same, was a big eye opener for yeah, me. Yeah. Same here, Aaron. We have in St. Louis, we have a large Asian population, and as you mentioned, there generally there's an area, and when you think about it, that that actually speaks to the fact that there may have been issues that we weren't aware of. Right. From, from my experience, you know, here in, 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 in my town, um, the, uh, immigrant families back in the, we had a, a recession back in the 19, early 1980s here in Texas. And a lot of those migrant families were buying the homes that went into receivership. So like, for instance, we we had a, a big uh, defense contractor that shut down its factory here, and all those guys lost their jobs, right? And so those homes went into receivership. Well, uh, migrant communities came in and purchased those homes. So they're, they're sort of there's there's a localization, you know, and then you and you'll see that in uh, commerce because you know uh, large Asian markets, etc., all down through a whole section of town. And again, you know, I am I am sure that if you asked you know, uh, an Asian person who lives here, they probably have a very different experience, but I, it has always been my perspective that, you know, our, the, the communities here got along and that they're integrated. And, uh, but again, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I, this, this book serves as consciousness aware, aware awareness raising. Um, I, uh, I, I was, I was very appreciative of how I was educated in the history uh, in this book, yeah. I was unhappy <laughs> with a a storytelling uh, strategy that 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 the writer employed. Uh, you know, Katana as a character has a uh, sword called Soul Taker because this, it takes people's souls. This is the exact other issue that I was going to yeah. bring up, Aaron. It and, was the comic aspect of it. Yeah. And they decided to make a change in the book that the the sword is not mystical in nature. It doesn't take people's sword. It's just a sword. Yeah. And, and she even com- says that at one point. And they downplay her death, that she didn't actually die. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't. So what that does is removes it from continuity, right? Because all of the other books tell us that it's a magic sword. And the people around her who would know... <laughs> You know, it's not just, oh, she says it's a magic sword, so it must be a magic sword. 
there are other people who know about the sword or experienced in the sword understand that it is, it is also a magic sword. I mean, I went back and I read some of the outsiders comics that are referenced in this book. Well, and you know the thing it really takes away from the character too. Her sword has the soul of her husband in it. Exactly. That is exactly. a huge part of her character that she exactly. took the sword that was used to kill her husband. And so she can talk to her dead husband and that's not a thing in this story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really struggled with that through the book. Um, I didn't understand, you know, because it's, it's not like this other history universe. And, you know, you have to understand the other history books are outside of current DC continuity, excuse me, because they're telling linear stories set in time. Right. Yeah. You know? And they are covering stories that happen during those time frames, right. which is pre-crisis and post-crisis. Right. And so sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. It creates its own sort of, of uh, universe because it's putting real events in there, which you can po- point to a place in time. Anyhow, I, so I found that frustrating. I don't I did not understand that choice when she when Katana is a character in a world where, you know, Kryptonians travel to Earth from a a distant dying planet where uh, men fire electricity from their hands, where you've got a guy like Batman running around. So all these other super things exist. Why take away her super thing? I completely agree. That bothered me a lot. The other thing that kind of jumped out at me, too, was in the previous books. You had things like Jefferson Pierce met Superman and you had uh, you were dealing with them talking about Superman leading up to his death. Right. Where in this book, there is no Superman mentioned until he's dead. And then suddenly it's right. this huge impact on her. It gets three pages worth when it didn't feel earned here like it did in the other books. Right. It felt like the death of Superman was such a big comic event. We have to have it. And we have to focus on it. And so they give it three pages worth, which in a book like this, three pages is a lot because it's yeah. a lot of text, but it didn't feel earned. It's like, why does, why does it have this impact on her? Why does it deserve three pages when it's not actually moving her story along at all in some of those pages? Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry you uh, you you didn't enjoy this book, Paul, or appreciate this book. Uh, one of the things that that, you know, certainly jumped out at me was Katana talking about the Teen Titans character, Tara. Yeah. Uh, you know, Katana is is connected to that story because she has teammates with Geoforce, who is Tara's half brother. Um she characterizes something in the in, in the telling of Tara's tale and the 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 betrayal that I had not connected before. Obviously, you know, in that Teen Titans story, um, t- we know that Tara had a sexual relationship with uh, Deathstroke, right? Um, which was shocking, yep. you know, because she was 16 years old, I believe, in, in that yeah. story. Very and, underage. You know, yeah, very underage. And I, I, I remember being scandalized by that as a kid reading that book. Um, but, you know, Tara has always been characterized, you know, as a sociopath, 
as you know criminally insane, as you know the, a, a traitor to her comrades, and and Brian, her brother, is shamed by that. In fact, you know, again, I went back and reread some of the old Outsiders books this week, and you know, uh, post her death, he is horribly shamed at how she behaved, and this book takes the the perspective that maybe, or not, I don't think she even used the word maybe, that Tara wasn't damaged until Deathstroke damaged her. And that what, you know, because she was a child, she was not able to consent, and so that that relationship was rape. And that, uh, that you know, she became who she was in that Teen Titan story because of the psychological and physical trauma that she underwent with Deathstroke. And while I, you know, in having read those books and reread those books over the years, I certainly got that, you know, Deathstroke was a rapist. What I didn't get was that, that not a rapist, but a, a sex offender, I should say, right. uh, which I guess I should have seen as rape. Um, but the fact I, I had never gotten the fact that her character uh, of being a villain, of of being, you know, someone who was destroying everything in her path was because of that relationship, um, because of what had been done to her and and the the trauma that 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 she endured. Um, and I, I I thought that was a really interesting take, and I, I found that shocking in this book. That was something I always saw in the character. She was groomed. And yeah, groomed. That is the right word, Wayne. That is yep. the right word. I think one thing that's important to, to, to get from this book is that we're dealing with an interpretation of events, um, you know, Katana's interpretation or John Ridley's interpretation of the events, right? It, it's not it's not Tara's interpretation. It's not Deathstroke's interpretation. It's Katana's interpretation of the events. So, right. you know, I, I one of the things, you know, and obviously this is a hard topic to talk about from three white dudes on a podcast. Um, <laughs> Very much so. You know, three but, white dudes of a certain age. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Deathstroke's age, really. Um, but well, and I, let's be honest, when this story was written, those weren't things that the writers were even considering. Well, and I think well, that's untrue, right? I think, you know, they, yeah, one of the things that, that we've seen this week is that Bleeding Cool, you know, pulled out some Marv Wolfman um, interviews from the time, which, you know, confirmed that that wasn't Marv Wolfman's intent, right? That, that you know, he was, um, you know, a statutory rapist, Deathstroke, uh, not, right. not, Mar- not Marv, not friend of the podcast, Marv, Marv, George, Marv's Perez. <laughs> George Perez, I'm sorry. Um, no, Marv, oh yeah, George Perez. No, no it's George Perez who, who did the, who, who did that article. Oh, that did the article. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think one of the interesting aspects of the book is regardless of the time frame in which that book was written, the original story, regardless of, of you know, the intent at the time, DC has spent the better part of 30 years trying to turn Deathstroke into DC's version of the Punisher or... Yeah, an or anti-hero. An anti-hero, right? Trying to yep. make him an, anti, an anti-hero, not, you know, kind of glossing over that aspect of his history or even, you know, as recently as um, the New 52, aging up Terra so that it's not as problematic. Um, and, right. you know, I, I think DC... I, I, I find it interesting, and I, I think it's just because they've allowed creator creators to tell the story they want to tell in books like this. I mean, there's an F-bomb in this, and I was surprised about that. Um, that, you know, it, 
depending on how this book goes, I think future interpretations of Deathstroke as an anti-hero become a bit problematic for that character. Um, you know, well, to, and to even more so. I was, I was surprised by how blatant they put it out there. But even more so, I was surprised by how they criticized the fact that the character has become a man's man or, you know, they describe it, how he's built this aura around him of being cool and, uh, you know, honor and a man's man and all of this. That really surprised me that they would criticize the character and how he's been seen since then. Yeah, and I think you know one. And this leads right into what I wanted to talk about with the Flash seven sixty eight, which is the Flash relaunch or the Infinite Frontier of the relaunch of Flash, written by Jeremy Adams, art by Brandon Peterson, Marco Santucci, and David Lafuente. Um, you know, so and I know you almost didn't buy this book. I almost didn't buy it, but I was I went ahead and gave it a shot. Uh, and you know, I I find though it is a different crime, I find that Wally West has turned into a character that's dead to me. Um, (laughs) I I, I gotta say, you know, Tom King has officially ruined Wally West for me because, you know, every iteration of Wally West, every story of Wally West, despite, you know, universe rewriting, despite everything that's happened, every version of Wally West embraces the fact that Wally West accidentally murdered a shit ton of people and covered it up. And I think with that as the character, you know, with that as something that is, has been referenced in, every tale featuring wally west since heroes in crisis that when you you know if wally west is going to return as the flashing question it's hard for me to disassociate the fact that he killed roy and then tried to cover it up even though the murder itself was an accident um yeah the cover-up though the cover-up was not and it is referenced repeatedly and so when i get to this book and wally west is like you know, Barry, I know you wanted me to be Flash, but I think I'm just going to retire and live a happy life. I'm like, fuck you. Why don't you serve some time in prison? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you covered up the murder of a bunch of people. Like, wh- yeah. wh- where is that of them... aspect of your of, uh, on your retribution tour? Why don't you serve some time? <laughs> and, well, uh, and none of them know that Roy's still alive again now. But yeah, well, but... and it's, it's it's an example of how you can ruin a character, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I, he was one. He was my Flash. Yeah, and mine now too. I str- like I picked this up because I was excited about the idea of him becoming Flash again. Immediately, you find out that his marriage and his kids are back, and that got me super excited. And then you get right into I retiring, and I want you to take away my powers. Yeah. Which the story I think was good after that. After they got past it, one of the things that really struck me though, and it makes perfect sense. You know, Oliver Queen is supposed to be leading the Justice League now. Yeah. And he's a big part of this story, and it is a lot of bitterness uh, because Roy was killed. And so he's he definitely is letting Barry and Wally know his opinion on the fact that, yeah, Wally's power should be taken away. He should retire. Yeah. And so it's just... it. I didn't care for this book, um, you know, not just, you know, not just from my interp- interpretation of Wally West as a character um, now, but, you know, the book, the story that was chosen for the relaunch of Wally West's character was immediately, hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to retire. I'm going to, you know, like, I'm not even going to try my hand at, you know, um, reconciling my troubled past 
I just I'm just gonna quit and live a happy life. Um, yeah, I, and, you know, and I of course like things go awry. That, they, but... Yeah, I did feel like after that they got back into the fact that Wally had a closer connection to the Speed Force than any of the other speedsters. Yeah, I like seeing that come back, but I get it, Paul. And I I do feel like they have taken one of my favorite DC characters and they have performed character assassination with yep. that really horrible story. Yeah, and you know, I think um, so. In the, in the last book, we'll talk about very briefly here, uh, just you know, a few words because I gotta say, um, I, I, I hate to be you know this trifecta of books I didn't enjoy this week. But oh we started God. with things I did enjoy. I really didn't care for Beta Ray Bill either. I loved this book. Oh, I loved did it. Did you really? This book was great. I yeah. Didn't, I didn't like the whole Beta Ray Bill, I'm tired of living in your shadow, Thor. Sif doesn't want to have I sex with me. I actually think that, 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 is, <laughs> that is a bill that came, that came due. Because Thor did screw him over. No, no, that yeah. I was fine with. It was more the, you know, like Beta Ray Bill. Like Thor came in, knocked out Fen Fang Foom in one punch. After Beta Ray Bill spent three quarters of the book trying to fight him. Like, I, I didn't like, uh, I don't know, like it felt like uh, maybe I was just sad for Bill. Ba- maybe I was just sad for Bill and that's, I don't like feeling sad. Oh, I, yeah. I, I felt so sad <laughs> for him when like Sif is, is, you know, Sif is seducing him and ready to go and then finds out he can't turn into a more human form. And then it's like, oh, never mind. Shallow. I, I, you know, I got to tell you, I... <laughs> I felt like that said a whole lot about Sif that I didn't care for. Agreed. <laughs> that whole scene, I'm like, you know, I always thought one thing about Sif, but, uh, you know, that that she would just assume. I, I just, <laughs> oh, I, I didn't want to actually have sex with you. I wanted to have sex with the guy you turn into. Um, I I just was very disappointed in her character yeah, in this book. That, that's, I will say that was the scene that really was like, oh, man, like that, that seems so... They're as guardians. You're telling uh-huh. me she hasn't had sex with something uglier than Beta Ray Bill? Like, give me a break. Uh, that that scene I didn't care for. Now, that being said, one of the things I will say about this book is Daniel Warren Johnson is the reason I picked up this book. It wasn't Aaron. It wasn't Wayne. It, it was Daniel <laughs> Warren Johnson who did the Wonder Woman Dead Earth book from DC Comics that I find glorious and is probably on DC Universe Infinite, Aaron, if you want to check it out. Um, we'll check that out. Because I freaking love that dude's art. I love his style. Um, I like his writing. And I, I, I enjoyed a good portion of this book. I just really didn't like that Sif scene. Maybe that scene just didn't sit with me. Uh, and, I, and, and at the end, he's like, I just want to be beautiful again. I'm like, ah, I just, I left this book feeling sad. Yeah. yeah. On I, the I, other I, hand, that Sif scene was one of the... It was a major turning point in the book, and for me, and I loved that scene. Oh no, it was I. It was a very well written scene. I just I was like, man, I, I that's just not how I see Sif. Yeah. Um, and, and I certainly not the way I've seen Sif in her dealings with Bill in the past. But you know, be that as it may, I uh, I have a prediction on how this is this story is going to wind up. That not only will bill have a new weapon i suspect a hammer at the end of this story i think that uh scuttlebutt uh will somehow take the uh, form of that weapon i, I, think I would agree he, i think that's there's too much uh reference to scuttlebutt yeah yeah i and 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 i'm i'm i'm, I'm there for it i mean i i just i freaking loved this book i think it's beautifully drawn I, I think I think uh, the style of uh, the characters designs in this book 
is perfect for a Bill story. I like I said, I, I think that you know Thor wrote this check when he destroyed Bill's hammer, uh, and it's time. Yeah. Uh, and and I I am I am I am there for the division between these two characters. Like it when these two characters work together. But you know, let's keep in mind that Bill's origin was replacing Thor. So they've always sort of had this this sort of juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, there is there is a good and and organic reasoning, a natural reasoning for these two to be at odds. And I can't yep. wait. Uh, to see where this goes well and i really liked thor's defense of i have no control over that i am who i am and bill's response back of but it's you that broke my hammer yeah Yeah. fucker (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like it's i'm not blaming you for being the hero and coming in and stealing the day i'm blaming you for what you actually did to me yeah Yeah. Yeah, well and I didn't care for the spoiler that we got in this book for a story that hasn't ended yet. Yeah, agreed. In the, the current pages of Thor, I was like, God dang it. I wish there had I, – I, the comic book company should really give you some kind of heads up, mm-hmm. you know, that you're about to spoil this. Because, I mean, I'd have been just as happy as holding on to this book to read it after uh, – after you know the 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 thor story concludes i was super ticked off by that and i wondered that was the thor story delayed at some point and we didn't notice it because it doesn't feel like it i don't think so yeah, i think those are coming like out on a time. month or anything no yeah. i just think it was just the timing of release of this book oh yeah Fuck so me. aaron hey paul yes sir what's coming out next week well in honor of First Contact Day, IDW is going to be producing a special digital edition of the official comic tie-in for Star Trek First Contact. Um, yeah, it's it's only a buck ninety nine. The adaptation of the movie, you know, probably one of most folks' favorite Star Trek movies. Uh, it's certainly the best of the next generation. So that comes out on. Uh, it is probably out by the time you're listening to this on April fifth. Um, but on in normal comic releases, Seven Secrets number seven will be coming out Ooh. from Boom Studios. Um, our, our new writer, comic writer to watch, Jed McKay, who wrote the most recent um, what's the book we all loved that came out last week, Taskmaster um, miniseries, is working for Boom Studios, writing a new ongoing series of Magic the Gathering that looks pretty interesting. Um, from Image Comics, we have the release of Geiger Number 1 that we talked about earlier in this podcast, as well as Noctera Issue 2 from Scott Snyder and Tony Daniel. Um, from Marvel Comics, King in Black concludes with King in Black Issue 5. And from DC Comics, we have new issues of Crime Syndicate and the Infinite Frontier relaunch of Green Lantern. And finally, one of the things that we did not talk about this week, but I will be talking about next week, and I say this because... You guys should buy it too. Is Legends of the Dark Knight issue one, um, the digital first series from DC Comics that will then be collected in print, uh, started this week, which I didn't realize. Um, the first arc is by uh, writer and artist Derek Robertson from The Boys. Uh, so I'm going to be picking that up to talk about next week. Very good. Well, we want to know what you thought about this week's books. Give us a call, 972 763 5903. That number, once again, Nine seven two seven six three five nine zero three. If we use your voicemail on the show, you win a coveted, valuable ideology of madness surprise. You can also hit us up on the socials: IOM Geek, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. 
What a deal. Only I mean, do it. Do it all. Do it all. <laughs> Only fans. Our Patreon page. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll do it all again next week. Right here, iomgeek.com. Save up because it's going to be v- NFT only. That's right. And you're going and we're going it's going to be everything, right? Yeah. $50 million. It's a deal. <laughs> one. Just for one. <laughs> Bye guys. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>